Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Welcome to the afternoon show. We are continuing Guide Talk. So thank you for my power panel, Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn, who are still here as far as I know. And we've got another... Yeah, don't look that direction, Tom. You're still here. Good. Yeah, yeah. But I left. Uh, you missed a sight gag there, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> but we love your questions, and there's so many good ones that have come in. So thank you for that. 877 my question is about church membership. Is it needed? It, is it a Western concept, a man-made corporation type thing? What is its value? I love that because we just wrote a whole document on this for our church um, because everybody talks about membership. Membership has been imposed on the church by the state in terms of our constitution. However, although the Bible uses the term membership, which is we are members of the body of Christ. It's not the formal concept. It is the brotherhood and sisterhood concept by those who have, you know, pled the blood of Jesus. What I like is the passage where Paul talks about your partnership in the gospel. Membership in America means you pay your dues and you get certain rights and privileges. It's the way it works everywhere. Partnership, though, means you have been brought in and you now have equal responsibility for the outcome of the mission. And I like that concept much, much better, and that's what we're trying to teach the people that come into our church. Mm -hmm. All right, let me move on. I would love to understand more fully which promises in God's Word we can take personally, meaning are the ones directed to Israel, the ones directed to future things, the ones directed to more specific people and circumstances? Can we take those as our own personal promises? I think one of the issues within some in Christianity is they want to take the promises that were given to Israel and apply them to the church. At, at its most extreme, this is what's called replacement theology, where, where some believe that the church has replaced Israel. I think Israel is a distinct entity that has a distinct future, actually a distinct future salvation when Christ returns. Uh, Romans 11 says, therefore, all Israel will be saved, and I believe a remnant of Israel will be saved. So I think we have to be careful uh, taking on, If you and by the way, if you're going to take on the promises of Israel, you also have to take upon yourself the judgments that <laughs> came upon Israel. Deuteronomy 28 sets, says, God's very clear, I set you before you blessing and curses, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. So if you're going to take upon the blessings of Israel, you also have to take upon the curses. But the promises of the New Testament believer are actually so much better. This mystery that Paul yeah. talked about that nobody understood in the Old Testament, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, is now been made known in us. They long to look into the promises that we now have in Christ Jesus. I, you know, it's interesting. If you go to the New Testament and you look at the understanding that we are part of this new covenant— <coughs> What we need to understand then is that those promises we can apply. The question is, how do we apply these promises? Uh, I know it's very popular to apply promises like, you know, give and it will be given to you, 
that type of thing, and people want to put that in a financial realm. Uh, rarely do I hear people talk about it in terms of forgiving other people. You know, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Or, you know, serve and you'll be served. The promises are true. We have to be careful how we interpret them, interpret them according to the word and their context, not what we want. Can can I also, let's talk about what, just one of the promises that we have uh, in Scripture that's described to those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that is an inheritance. Mm-hmm. We have eternal life today. Right now, the moment you believe, you have life, but you also have eternal life. Your eternal life begins the moment you're saved. Part of that eternal life, God promises that you are now his child. You are made a child of God, and as a child, we are going to inherit all this. The back of Revelation says, to him who overcomes will inherit all this. Well, he just got done describing the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, this eternal, beautiful state, and he says, we will inherit all this. That is one of the promises of God. Yep. Nicely done. All right, here's a uh, statement that was heard. If God's your problem, then God's your solution. If someone is struggling with God and having a hard time yielding to him, how do you think God becomes their solution as this person stated? You know, when you're, when you, when you're outside of the family of God, you have one enemy. Right. That's God. Right. And then you get saved and you have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bargain. Yeah. And basically what it comes down to is, deep in our heart, our basic problem is, who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What happens when I die? Those are the most common questions out there among believers and non-believers over and over. Jesus has settled that question, telling us who he is and what we need in him. When we, don't, when we still struggle with those questions, but we don't look to Jesus for the answer, he becomes the biggest problem we have. And I see that in our society all the time. And yet, as a pastor, what I love is that when people who are like that finally have a situation they can no longer control, it may be their health, it may be their finances, it may be their job, it may be their marriage, it may be their kids— It is amazing how many of them have come to me, and I know many other pastors, and said, I've been mad at the Lord all my life. I don't believe he was there for me, but now I have no choice, and I need help. How do I get there? And that's the fun time to talk to them about the love of Jesus and his grace. Mm -hmm. Scripture has a number of different ways to describe those who are lost, alienated from God, condemned, dead in sin. Heathens in darkness, foolish, God's enemies, Romans 5, 10 says. So yes, they are separated from God. They are dead in their sins. They are God's enemies apart from Jesus Christ. So God is really their problem. Well, I would say their problem is really sin and sin, therefore death. The solution, as the the question states, is definitely God. For those who believe and are saved... It says that now you are no longer far from God, but you've been brought near from God. You're no longer his enemies, but you're his friend. You're his child. You are now in Christ. You're part of the body. You're the bride of Christ. You're born again. You're brothers. You're children of the light. Um, so, yes, I agree with the question that the, 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 the solution, the answer is God. All right, gentlemen, nice job. In Revelations 3, it says, don't be lukewarm or God will spit you out of his mouth. But the Bible also says that you only need a mustard seed of faith. 
lukewarm kind of seems like a mustard seed. Are those two related? Since I've been preaching for nearly 45 years, and I use illustrations every Sunday, please do not compare my illustrations one to another, because sometimes they they will go together, other times they don't make sense, even though they each have a particular point. Lukewarm is talking about indifference. You're not really turned on, you're not really turned off, you just could care less. The mustard seed concept, Jesus is saying, the amount of faith you need is not the issue here. It's where you put that faith. And if you have a mustard seed size of faith, which is the tiniest seed, one of the tiniest seeds out there, and you put that in me, because faith always has to have an object. It isn't faith in faith. It is faith in, and then the answer is Jesus. Then you've got everything you need. Mm-hmm. And the two are two separate concepts altogether. Okay, now I had Jeff on the program Tuesday, and he talked about something. So it'll look like a ram is going to be battering against your head right oh, now. Oh, please go for it. <laughs> it's fine with me. <clears throat> well, it's it's. I love this teaching in this um, hot, lukewarm, and cold uh, because there's a couple things in the statement that I think that that we need to understand. And and the first is the hot, cold, and lukewarm are actually not describing faith at all. If you read the passage, it begins with this. It says, "I know your deeds. I know your deeds." He doesn't say, "I know mm-hmm. your faith." I know your deeds. So we like to look at those words, hot, cold, and lukewarm, as a measure of how um, how committed or how much faith we have in Christ. That's not the picture. The hot and cold in Laodicea were useful to the Laodiceans. They had a hot uh, water duct coming in from Heropolis. They had a cold water duct uh, aquifer coming in from Colossae. That, the hot mineral water was useful. The cold water was useful. The lukewarm brackish water that was a mix of the two was not useful. And I actually believe in in Revelation chapter 3, the lukewarm is actually referring to unbelievers. That's why Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Just like the branches that are not connected to the vine are gathered up and burned. So I, I I think like what Tom was saying, I think we mix metaphors when we try to look at the lukewarm and the mustard seed. As Tom said on the mustard seed, I totally agree. How much faith is it that you need to be saved? I think that mustard seed of faith, the man on the cross, the thief on the cross, how much doctrine did he know? How 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 mature was he in his faith? Uh, the answer is, is, is he was a criminal. He probably didn't, under, but he did this. He had a mustard seed of faith. He said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, that's enough. Mm-hmm. So that's Jeff, enough. Yeah, Jeff, if Jesus says, I would prefer you be either hot or cold. Well, if he's describing, uh, he wants you to be hot or cold and cold wouldn't be the condition of your faith. Exactly. He's, he's it's, saying, it's I want you things- to be useful. Yeah. I, when he says, I want you to be cold, we, we t- if this is a measure of faith, cold would mean not saved, like you're dead, you don't have any faith, you're cold. But Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold. That means the hot and cold are useful. They're good. It's a measure of their deeds. They're like the branches that are bearing fruit. I want you to be connected to me and bearing fruit. So I think the picture is the hot and cold are saved. It's the lukewarm person who's unsaved, and that's why Jesus will spit the lukewarm person out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
Any thoughts to that, Tom Parrish? No, I'm, I didn't know about the aquifer, although I've studied that history pretty intensely like Jeff has. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. I'm just going to go back and look more because one of the things I try to understand in all my years of being a pastor, I am not, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does have the answer, mm-hmm. and his name is Jesus. And that's why I keep going back to the word. So thank you, Jeff. Yeah, awesome. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. We've got one more little segment of Guide Talk. So send your questions over. Great questions today, by the way. Thank you for doing that because it makes a big difference. I love when good questions come in and you're sending them over. 877-933-2484. And if for any reason we don't get to your question in the last segment, I put them in a little file called Cool Guy Questions We Didn't Get To. So we will take your question up at some point. We'll be right back. Start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional Email. Sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com. We're back with Guide Talk. Thank you, gentlemen, Tom Paris, Jeff Verdorn, for taking extra time today for an extended version of Guide Talk. I think sometimes when we do an hour, just as we get warmed up, the hour's over. Yeah. So here we are with a little extra time. So I appreciate that and all the great questions that, that have come in. Thank you so much for all the great questions. Um, last night, uh, my daughter and I had a deep conversation about the last days and the rapture. Her heartache is with regards to her three children and not seeing them grow up. I tried. Can you please give reassurance regarding her children, age 13, 10, and 7, who are believers in our Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? So her children are believers? Yes. Well, then then the rapture is a is going to be a wonderful day for all of them. <laughs> Amen. Right? Because the way you are prepared for the rapture is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, all those who believe and are born again will be caught up together with him in the in the clouds and be with the Lord uh, forever. So I actually think that how we view the rapture uh, in this, what Titus says in Titus, Paul says to, to Titus, is our blessed hope. It is a hope that we have that one day we will be uh, glorified and caught up to be with the Lord. And I think how we view that is a good measure of where our faith is at right now. If you're saying no, no, today's not a good day. Um, I, 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 and the, you know, the flip side is, oh, just get me out of here, Lord. And I don't know that those are healthy places to be. But if you can honestly say in your heart, Lord, today would be a good day. Tom, you said this earlier. Today would be a good day. I think that's a good place to be. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember years ago, as a young pastor, an older pastor say to me. Anything you think you miss out on, because we were talking about something similar to this, he said, in the kingdom of God, not only will you experience your children in whatever way the Lord wants, but it will be a billion times better than anything you could ever had here. And I think sometimes we get limited to what goes on in this world, seeing them grow up, get married and whatever. Who knows what the Lord's going to have them do in the kingdom of God? We have no definitive statement about what that's going to be. But I don't think that mother is going to be missing a thing. Nicely done. 
All right, let's see here. Um, what about when people talk about uh, Tom Parrish? I'm looking your direction already. When people uh, talk about a, a near death experience and they see loved ones, and the question is, when we die, are are we going to recognize people right away? Does Scripture teach anything about that? Uh, the only thing, again, is what Jeff had mentioned earlier that I know in Luke 16 about, you know, mm-hmm. the Lazarus and the, the rich man and that type of thing. I, The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about that. What it does say is that we will be with the Lord and we will be with the saints in glory. Mm-hmm. Good enough now, for me. Yeah, we'll be with you. Good enough for me. Yeah, me too. Yep. Whether we will recognize people distinctly, I've had many people say, I saw my mother and father in heaven, or I saw this or that in heaven uh, when I had that near-death experience. They're obviously identifying with something uh, that may be very real, but how the Lord is interpreting that for them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's really going on there. I just know I want to be there. There's one one more passage that I think is a, a clue to, the, to answering this question, and that is when David lost his child. He stops mourning, and, and people come to him and say, why did you stop mourning? He goes, well, there's nothing I can do now. He's, he's died, and besides, I will see him again. So along with Luke 16 and Lazarus and the rich man, who clearly recognized each other and recognized Abraham, so too David says that he will one day see his child again. So I actually think that, that you know, C.S. Lewis had this quote, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. Mm-hmm. You have a body. The person that makes you you is the immaterial part of you called your soul. So when we are absent from the body and at home with the Lord in so, in our soul, soul and spirit, I think we will be more real than we've ever been trapped in this physical body yeah. on this earth. And, and then therefore, I do think, I personally do think that we will recognize those in heaven that we knew on earth. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, I agree. All right, here's an interesting question. I've seen many people struggle with belief in God and the salvation gospel. Sometimes it seems like a trick of some kind that God would require belief as a means to salvation when it is so hard for so many. I know God is just, but how would you respond to the notion of belief being a requirement of salvation? What should be the requirement? Yeah, it's faith in Jesus that we're really after. That's what salvation is. Mm-hmm. It's not how good we are or how many good things we've done or how well we've lived. It's putting total confidence in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. Um, I don't know what else beyond that you would want to be looking for. I mean, that's where the real power is. And that's what I would encourage people to do. Look to Jesus for everything. Look, you can have a couple different you could envision a number of scenarios, the criteria for which God might set to be saved. You might have a, a set of works, a good works, or giving away money, or being a church, or being church member, or uh, knowing X amount of the Bible, or not sinning X number of times, or, or whatever, or doing so many good deeds. All of that would be works. Yeah. What he did was he set a criteria, faith, that's not a work. So Romans 4, 5 says, to him who works not but believes, to him is credited as righteousness. Faith or believing in him is just God saying, 
if you would believe, if you recognize that I am here and that I sent my son to die for your sins and rise again, if you believe that, you will be saved. Any other criteria that he would be would set would would be a work that we would be required to do, and then we could boast about our own salvation. When I fell in love with my wife, I pursued her for a year and a half mm. before we. She said she wanted to marry me. I mean, it took a little while. I had to work at it. What we don't communicate well in the church is that the issue of coming to church on Sunday. Going to Bible study, reading your Bible, is not so that we can gain more information about the Lord. It's so that we have a bigger heart to pursue Him and see Him in everything that's going on in our life. And I often challenge people, if you were, if I told you how you could make, you know, $10 million, if you would study this book for the next, you know, year and be diligent with it every day, most people would study the book every day for the next year. We have to do the same thing because the Bible is how we get to know this living Lord. And the more we know who he is through the word, the more we see him in our day-to-day life. Most people I know that don't believe are also people that have not put in much effort into looking into the facts, reading the Bible, or really understanding it beyond what they got in childhood. You know, I think of a father and and an orphan child, uh, um, and and the The father says to the child, I will adopt you and make you part of my family if you do X, Y, Z, clean my car, do whatever, and so on. Or the biblical picture, I will adopt you into my family if you love me. Yes. And if you love me, I will make you my child. That's the deal that God offers the world. I'm with my friends that are atheists and agnostics. I have asked them flat out. Many of them have told me, well, I've studied the Bible. I've studied other religions. I don't really get this. And I asked them, how much have you really intentionally pursued to know this Jesus that's in the Bible? And have been both to look at me and go, what are you even talking about? And I'm saying, have you been pursuing him? That is, you're looking for him in day-to-day activities. You're looking at him as other people speak. You're looking for him in the circumstances of life that align with God's word. If you do that, the Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, guess what? You will find me. Amen. All right, here's our last question, and I will put uh, faith in action right now. How can we best pray for our nation? Tom Parrish, would you pray for our nation? Yep, be glad to. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, our nation is in trouble. We have drifted away from you. Unfortunately, Jesus, your name is being used more as a swear word or comedy than it is being reverenced. And Lord, forgive us for oftentimes as believers our silence in this difficult world. Show us as your people how to be your ambassadors, how to reach out to the unlovely, how to reach out even to our government officials and speak the truth, and how to do it in a way, Lord, that people will be compelled to think about you. We need healing, Jesus. Bring your revival, bring your strength to your church and your people, and help us, Lord, to represent you everywhere we go to your honor and glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Amen. Tom Paris, Jeff Verdorn, uh, awesome job today. Really. Good to be with you. That was a great uh, 90 minutes. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Have a great rest of the day. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Beverly Canaris is in the green room, and we're going to talk about a very interesting subject. It's about the idea of calling. I can't wait. Do you know your calling? You're going to learn in just a minute. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. If you just climbed in your car and turned on the ignition and put it in drive and now turned on the radio and you're listening to me, thank you. That really makes my day. We've had a wonderful hour and a half so far. Guy Talk was an extended version, and the reviews are in, and people said it was really good. So if you missed any of it, I really encourage you to head over to the website, which uh, we have our own separate Afternoons with Bill page, and you can find the podcast there. It's real easy to listen to. You just click start. That's all it takes. But now we're going to talk about uh, an interest, uh, a very interesting subject to most everybody, and that is the idea of God, their calling, God's calling on your life. What is God's calling on your life, and how do you find that out? Uh, we're going to talk today to Beverly Canaris about that. Bev used to teach Bible study fellowship for over 30 years, and she is uh, probably busier now than ever, uh, mm-hmm. loving on women, teaching, mentoring, and occasionally doing my radio show. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bev. <laughs> and the name of your podcast Again, she is becoming. She is becoming. I was going to yeah. say if she belongs, but she's yeah. becoming. It's a multi generational podcast. Okay. Uh, I'm the old woman. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I used to be the young woman. Now I'm the older woman. Well, I, I'm okay with that, though. Yeah. It's a privilege to grow old. So you must have felt God's calling on your life a long time ago when you started committing a lot of time to preparing for Bible study fellowship. As a teaching I, leader. I have. It's um, that really, I started teaching when I was 34 okay. in Bible study fellowship. So I taught a lot of years there and um, the call process was lengthy and uh, God did a lot of things in my life to prepare me. And I'll, I, I'll mention some more of those things at the end, but okay. it was really, um, it was a challenge to really figure out who I was and what God had intended for my life. So mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of compassion for people trying to figure that out. I've got 10 grandchildren now who, um, a few of them are really kind of struggling. What, you know, what's my calling? Where, sure. what, what am I supposed to do? And it, it, it takes maturity. It takes time to really see who, who you are, who mm-hmm. God really made you to be. So, um, you know, we don't have to be pressured by it, but we should be interested and we should be seeking God in that yeah. calling. Shouldn't and, be obsessed with it either. Yeah. And Bev, do you sometimes see your calling in your rearview mirror? Absolutely. Where, where you're busy doing ministry and serving the Lord. And after several years, you, you go, wait a minute, this might be my calling. I know. Yeah. It took me, you know, you hear people say they have a life statement. It took me a long time to come up with what my, my life purpose and statement, what's my, you know, vision statement for my life. Sure. And, um, now I have it, and it's very concise, and it's very clear to me, and I don't go out of those bounds very often unless nice. I really feel the Lord calling me. But, you know, I, I'm 69. It's it's kind of good to get it figured out by the time I get to be 69. Yeah. You have but, a very young voice. You have the voice of a 68-year-old. Oh, thank you, oh, no. Bill. It's... Bill. Oh, I'm going to get him later oh. for that. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's, let's just call truce right okay, now, okay? Okay, okay, okay. All right, good. All right. Well, let's talk about this topic All a little right. bit more. You know me. We always have to go right back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this area of our life? Sometimes it's just kind of like this golden, elusive nugget that we just have to have, and it's it's the key source to all of our happiness. We have to figure this out. Well, that gets very difficult. So we have to look at it from a 
biblical perspective. What is the Bible saying about calling? Um, What is my calling? These are some of the questions we're going to answer today while we have this discussion on calling. First of all, we need to establish right from the start that our calling originates with God and not with self. I want to say that again. Our calling originates with God and not with self. Now, you may have heard the old joke of climbing the ladder and getting to the top and you realize you leaned your ladder against the wrong Mm -hmm. wall. That's an old one, but a goodie. It's a goodie. Yep. Our most basic call is a call to be in this world, okay? And we're really going basic here. God is our creator and he's designed each of us uniquely. So while this may seem so basic to our understanding of call, it's really the foundation of our call. It's that first rung on the ladder. It, it, it is the wall we're leaning against, that we are God's. He has created us, and he has the unique plan. If we reject the truth of being uniquely made by a God who knows you, and he knows you perfectly, um, it's going to just leave us with our own small ideas of calling. And that's that good. We want to have God's perspective of our calling. We want to know what his calling is on our life rather than just our own selfish wants. To know that I'm uniquely created by God is the right wall to lean my ladder on. This truth really gives me the reasonable expectation that God has me here in this world for a reason. It gives me security knowing that he has a plan and he made the plan. He not only has the plan, he made it. So listeners, what is your ladder leaning on? Do you know who created you? Who has the plan for your life? Do you? Or are you looking to God for that call, that plan for your life? Well, the other call that we all need to have in our life is the call to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that we're called to do that? It's a call that goes out to all people. We're called to a personal relationship with God, and we do that by receiving God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. You talked a lot about this earlier with the guy talk. We did. This is great. It it just, this really fits right in there. Mm -hmm. So God sent his Son to reveal to us the way back to himself. We're sinners. We've disobeyed God. And how have we disobeyed him? Well, we haven't loved him like we should. Um, We've lived for ourselves. We haven't obeyed God. Uh, The only way for God to be just, because he is, in punishing sin and to cleanse sin is through death, because the scriptures say the punishment for sin is death. Uh, Christ died our death due to sin on the cross. He took the justice, the place that we deserved. But then he rose again to show us that we now can have a new life, a life lived in relationship with God. This new life is a calling. To be a Christian is to be called to relationship with the Lord. I love these verses from the New Testament now. Jesus said, he didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. So, Bill, that's who gets the call, sinners. There's really no other people in the world, right? So everyone gets this call. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we are to respond to his call by calling on him as well to be saved. 
Romans, we have to receive that call. Romans 8 says, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So his calling is a complete work um, that happens within us. And he does this. He does all of that when we respond to that call. John 10, Jesus is described as the gate and the shepherd. And he says that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So again, here's that that picture of God, Jesus Christ, calling us to himself. And then scripture says a lot of things that are a result of Christ, the good shepherd's call to us to follow him. So when we when we answer when we hear Christ's call and we answer Christ's call, we are also called to these things. We are to call on him, Romans 10. He richly blesses all who call on him. So this is prayer. This is talking to him, calling on him. We're also called to purity, 1 Timothy 4, 7. We're called to peace, 1 Corinthians 7, 15. We're called to be free, and this is free from the slavery of sin, isn't that beautiful? Part Love of that, that. call mm-hmm. is that freedom we have. We've been forgiven. They're over. He's not going to bring it up again. They're done. And when we enter into his kingdom, we're, all the power of sin is going to be gone, and so is the presence of sin. We will not sin anymore this in is such the kingdom good news. to come. Such good news. Yeah, it is such good news. So that's part of our call, that mm-hmm. we'll be free. We are called to be free. We're also called to praise and worship God who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So there's a call. We are actually called. God is asking us, in a, and we are to obediently respond to praise and to worship him from 1 Peter 2. Ephesians 4 tells us to live a life worthy of the calling. So when we enter into this call of coming to Christ and being a Christian, we are to live a life worthy of that. We are to confirm our call by the way we live, 2 Peter 2. I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, 10. And then we're called to be holy from 2 Timothy. We are also called to be a holy priesthood, or in other words, to represent the Lord from 1 Peter. And interestingly enough, we're even called to suffer with him from 2 Peter. The call of Christ to us to receive him is going to completely change our lives And within this call to live entirely for Christ will be this kind of specific call that we often think of so often when we talk about calling, a specific call. But first, let's just think about what we just heard about becoming a Christian, answering that call to Christ. Listeners, have you answered the call of Christ to receive him as your Lord and Savior? This is the most important call to answer by calling on him to be saved. Romans 10, 13 assures us, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Bill, those first two calls are so important and Mm -hmm. so fascinating, aren't they? Yeah. The call of God on our life. He's calling us to himself. And then the call to Christ to, to come to him. And it involves a lot of these other calls all along the way. But those two things have to be in place before we're really going to come into the fullness of our own unique call. Mm-hmm. Solid, solid uh, reminder, Bev. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Should we go on? Yes. Good. All right. So let's get into this unique call. Now, some people refer to this unique call as mission. It's a call to mission. 
Um, and there are many types of calls that individuals, unique calls to individuals in the Bible. Some of the ones who are the most renowned are, first of all, Abraham's call. He was told to leave his country and go to a land that the Lord would show him later. And he would, he would be a means of blessing to all nations, to all peoples. Now, can you imagine getting that kind of a call that just says, no, you're leaving here and I'll, I'll show you as you go where you're going to go. And I find so often calls are like that, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Y- you feel called to something, you get involved in something, and you don't really know how that's all going to end up. But this is where faith comes in and trusting him. And then there's Moses, fascinating character. Um, he is called by God to lead the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt. No small job here, no small call. But Moses is no fool. He, he starts arguing with God because this call sounds scary, and he was a, a wanted murderer in Egypt. And for him to go back there sounded very uh, scary at the least. And he was also very insecure. He starts to argue with God. This is the burning bush scene where he gets his call. He's been in the backside of the desert running away and living a life of obscurity, and now God's call comes to him. And often, a call will come to us after a real season of obscurity, of suffering, of going through hardship. And that is often when the call comes to us. Just when we think we can do not a darn thing in ourself. Mm-hmm. We're perfect for God to use. I interviewed leaders at BSF for years, and that was the thing they say, well, I just don't know if I can do this. I said, perfect. First qualification, you don't think you can do it. <laughs> That's now mm-hmm. you're right where you will yeah. depend on the Lord, right? Amen. Mm-hmm. Right? So Moses is the classic character of that. Then we have Isaiah, his call. And he was a man. He had this vision of, of God on his throne. I mean, and he was just leveled. And he said, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so Uh, An angel touches his lips with a hot coal. He is cleansed. And then the Lord asks, who can I send? And he said he would be willing to go, send me. Mm. And But he had to first have that cleansing. And I have found in my own life that um, sin and serving the Lord don't go well together, do they, Bill? They do not. So, Bev, let's take a break. We'll come back and continue uh, talking about God's call on your life. And we're right now chatting about so many of the types of calls in the Bible and make sure you first know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's call number one. Respond to that message. We'll take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter Thank you so much becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. What is the calling in your life? Have you asked that question? What is my calling Great, uh, it's a great question. It, Bev Canaris has said sometimes it's the holy grail of questions. What is my calling? Yeah, yeah, and we can we can think too much about it. Yes. Um, 
where we really should be thinking about the Lord and who he is. We'll get into that a little bit, but um, we don't want to think that that is the holy grail to my knowing my happiness because a lot of life has to evolve sometimes before we come to know our calling. So don't be unhappy and wait for this golden moment for it to come. And get busy being not only obedient, but serving the Lord because you can't sit around and go, well, once the Lord gives me my calling, then I'll get to work. Oh, no, you find out your calling as you're moving. You know what mm-hmm. they say? it's a, Something moving is easier to keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. right. But yeah. if you're just still, it's not, it's not, yeah. it's going to be a little harder. Yeah, my friend Beverly Canaris is my guest, and we we're talking about calling. And right before the break, we were talking about Isaiah. Now let's talk about Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Oh, I read those first couple of chapters of Jeremiah, and I see him uh, kind of squirming with the call as well to be a prophet. These were dark days that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. It was not a coveted job, let's just say. And he went through a lot of suffering, and I think he sensed a suffering was ahead. But his excuse not to answer that call was, I'm too young. So this is so typical of us, isn't it? I'm too young. I'm too old. I remember thinking, I don't have this education. I don't have this. I'm too young. I'm too this. Um, you know, you we make all these reasons as to why we can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Lord didn't let Jeremiah say no. He said, you're to go and you're to speak what I ask you to speak. I will put the words in your mouth. And if you don't speak them, I will hold you accountable for that. So I always read that being a teacher, that's very sobering to read that there's an obedience part to this call that... Um, has to be there as well. So Jeremiah, his excuse, too young to answer the call. So you might be feeling too young, too inexperienced, too this, too that, too that, and you've been asked to do something. Reconsider. <laughs> you Good might word. be getting a call. Now in the New Testament, those are Old Testament characters. In the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul who mentions his call many times. In fact, he gives his um, a salvation story twice in the book of Acts, but he he also starts some of his epistles uh, reviewing the fact that he's been called to this office. In Romans 1.1, he says that he was called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. So Paul knew his calling. He knew what he was being asked to do from the Lord, and he knew what his life purpose was, set apart for the gospel. And then we read in Matthew 4, the 12 disciples were called, uh, come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And of course, these were very ordinary, average kind of guys. They weren't the, origi- uh, the religious elite. Jesus chooses to use some unusual individuals, right? Mm-hmm. He uses people that are very ordinary. And I always felt that way about myself. I'm super ordinary. I'm a small town girl from South Dakota. Um, I don't have a college degree, and I always have felt insecure about that. I thought, wow, you know, I, I'm i just that ordinary person. I'm sitting at my sink washing up baby bottles. How could God call me to teach the Bible? Mm-hmm. But I, you know what? He delights in that, and I'll tell you why. Why do you think, Bill? Why do you think he delights in using ordinary people? Well, he loves using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And who gets we, the glory then? He does. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I've always felt my insecurities are actually a way to glorify him. And I like to share them because I think a lot of people have a lot of those same feelings and they need to know 
that's not hard for God mm-hmm. to overcome that. And it makes you realize it keeps you in your place. It keeps you in your place if you feel a little bit of that. So, well, so many wonder, <laughs> what is my call? And often equate it with their job or their career. And the two could be similar, could be the same, but our calling really can transcend a particular job. It can transcend what the world measures as success. Here's a couple of quotes about calling that I really want to share with everyone. Here's the first one. Our unique calling will be based on our gifts and abilities, will grow out of our deepest desires, and will always involve some response to the needs of the world. And here's another. Really, this is my favorite. The place, this is the definition of calling now. It's the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I have to say, Bill, I thought about you. I thought about your giftedness, and I thought about how there is such a need to get the Word of God out, to to encourage people, to have fun with people, uh, make them smile for their day. And I thought, you are, and you enjoy what you do. It just shows. Your deep gladness, it's meeting the world's deep hunger and need. And I think that's such a beautiful thing when those two things get together. Mm, And that's a calling. That's a calling. And that's after flunking out of 29 broadcasting schools. Well, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Not too bad. All right, well, thank you. Yeah, well, I think your broadcast school was stand up comedy, really, (laughs) (laughs) and terrible magic. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. All right, enough about you, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on. So, as a Christian, our divine call is always a call to serve in God's kingdom here on earth, the church. Our call is to serve Christ as we serve God's people. And this can be done in the context of every, whatever you're doing in your life, from being in prison. So many people have had wonderful, powerful ministry in prisons. Or the desk at your office could be where your divine call is. Or it might be the neighborhood park with the other moms in the park with, you know, having a play date with the kids. This call of God will help to rescue us from our own self-centeredness, and we instead start to live to serve. God's call is a whole other mindset comes with it. It's much bigger than self-gratification. In Christ's kingdom, it's when we lose our life for his sake that we truly find life to the full. So we have to lose life here, set aside our own desires, expectations, and take up his cause in this life. And in that context, you'll find your call. You will find what makes life rich. Well, it is helpful if we can discern our giftedness. That There's no doubt about that. The, the Lord has promised to give all of his people gifts. If you are a Christian, you have at least one gift. And I find most people have two or three, usually a main gift followed up by several accompanying gifts. And these gifts are to be stewarded, not for our own benefit, Scripture says, although there are many blessings when we're exercising these gifts. These gifts are not our own. Any ability I have to teach is meant to build up the body, not build up myself. It's to build up the body of Christ. Now, if you are interested in what these gifts are, you can go to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, both 12 chapters, easy to remember. Go there and look at these different gifts and do some talking with others and some meditation and see what your giftedness might be. 
But there's really two ways to discover that giftedness. Our call uh, in context of two things. First of all, in your knowledge of God. And secondly, in community. The way we get to know God is by reading his word and through prayer. And you will recognize your call as you come to know God as he's revealed himself in the Bible. Knowing God's character, knowing the history in the Bible will move you towards God's personal call. Prayer is communing with God, talking, listening, journaling. We are promised that when we seek him, we shall find him. We shall gain his heart as we get to know him, we'll come to a, a call will come into focus. Secondly, our call is also revealed through community. As you serve in many ways, others will notice and you'll get some helpful feedback. Most will have to try on a few different callings before they learn how God has wired them and where they see God moving in and through us. And that calls for some years in life as well. Mm-hmm. So once we have... Uh, see how God is calling us to his purpose. We need to be committed to submit to his will. We see Jesus, an example of that. And our calls must be carried out on complete dependence on the Lord. Yeah, and Bev, I would imagine you have to get prepared for some wrestling in this process of of the Absolutely. There is a lot of wrestling. There's even testing in it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I went through two years of really um, hard testing before I came into the call of BSF teaching leader. Mm -hmm. And that was difficult. Um, but it was part of his preparation. And even as I taught uh, to develop uh, the call in my life, I went through hard times as well. So he uses it all. That is a great topic, and you've handled that beautifully. Thank you for taking us on this journey and reminding us of how important it is to start your calling by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the most awesome way to start. And now we're at the end, and we're out of time. So thank you once again. Beverly Canaris. Always a pleasure. Yeah, that's our show for today. If you missed any of it, I'm pretty sure you can check out the podcast. It'll be available in a little bit. Have a wonderful evening. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.